0: Welcome back to the Lawali Life Podcast. I'm your host, Alice Law, and this podcast is a mixture of conversations with amazing leaders in their fields, talking about the greatest stresses and losses and challenges they've had to overcome, and how they came back from them, with tips and inspiration from how you can come back through yours. I talk mainly about stress and loss in this podcast and focus largely on stress because It's a fate we all share to go through stress and to experience loss. So I want to bring you amazing speakers from around the world to share with you their inspiring stories to make you realize that we can all come through our own and there are little tiny things we can do every day to keep us at our best. This week I'm joined by the wonderful Sophie Elwes. Sophie has an incredible story of resilience and strength around the accident that caused her to become paraplegic a few years back. Her story and the way she looks at life is so inspiring to listen to, and everything she's achieved since then. I won't spoil it all, but you know, great British water skiing and wakeboarding and more, and she's just such an inspiring human being to listen and learn from, and I really hope enjoyed this episode as much as I did. so much for um agreeing to come on i'm so excited to um to have you and to speak about so many different things i'm really really inspired by your story and i can't wait for, to delve into it further today so thank you so much for taking the time
1: yeah no worries any any podcaster is a friend of mine
0: <laughs> <laughs> well um so i mean before i you know want to go into the story of your accident before we go into that i'd love to just find out you know what was life like for you before then you know what was life like for Sophie before you were 22 because I mean 22 is it's a really prominent age to obviously for your life to change your life is changing so much at that age anyway so what kind of a person were you before you know your whole story began so to speak
1: yeah well it's interesting you put it like that story began it's definitely for me it's always it's been kind of before and after it's just such a such a change um but yeah before I had Recently graduated from uni. I was a bit of a party girl. Um, loved kind of going out and things like that. That was very much kind of important to me. And you know, work and things w- was important to me as well. I was quite ambitious. I wanted to go into events. Um, I think that was why I thought that you know, lots of going out would would help that <laughs> um, you know social stuff. Um, but yeah, I was I was you know I was twenty two and. I think I was more shallow then that I am now, you know, I wasn't, you know, yeah, I I think my, the things that I valued were very different to to what I valued now. I I wasn't a bad person. I, I feel kind of bad saying that to like, I don't know, my friends at the time or whatever, but, you know, my values were quite different then, I would say. It was kind of about what was cool and, you know, what, what, what restaurants were cool to go to and, you know, like fashion and, and uh, yeah, I, I cared a lot about that. Now, <laughs> fashion is not so much on the agenda. Unfortunately, it should be. I'm still in like lockdown mode. I think <laughs> trackies all the way.
0: I that totally happened to me weirdly. I I was actually I was studying fashion before I started doing everything I do. I was studying fashion, thought that's what I wanted to do, and I was like obsessed with reading Vogue. And I just had totally different nothing else at all. I still love clothes, but I just had totally different like you say values to. Well, I now am obsessed with picking up every help, self-help and spiritual book and, you know, mindset book under mm. the sun instead of flipping through magazines. It just mm. things shift, don't they? So I don't, I don't get what you mean. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, tell me yeah, about your, you know, your story. How, how did your accident really happen? Yeah, so I was at a party um,
1: in South London. And um, I basically was sitting on the edge and I don't remember any of that the event I remember like midday the day before and then just total blank for the next six weeks actually um but basically I was um sort of sitting on the edge and I just lost my balance and I fell it was like two and a half stories up maybe something like that it was about eight meters maybe not that maybe not two and a half um and, um, yeah, it was it was a really bad at the time. You know, I, I kind of broke a few bones. I hit my head when I fell, which at the time was the most concerning thing, um, that I was going to have a brain injury. Um, and obviously kind of broke my back in the fall. I um, was taken to hospital. Um, and then, yeah, I was in an induced coma for the next kind of five five weeks or so. So that time was just, I mean, I I wasn't conscious. And that time was just awful for my friends and family just you know they they really didn't know if I was going to make it through um, I was ventilated um and I think just a really really terrifying time for them um yeah the, I, the doctor said I had 40 percent chance of, of surviving wow. so the you know the fact that I become paralyzed it just wasn't really I mean they were they were aware of that but it was more if I would have a traumatic brain injury um, and if I would make it basically
0: wow so I mean for you what do you remember when you woke up but like, what was your first kind of experience when you came out of a must be such a strange experience anyway to miss sort of six weeks so to speak and not even you can't even have been aware that you had um what was that like experience waking up for It must have been so frightening
1: Yeah. So, so how it's often played in the movies when the person wakes up and, you know, what happened to me kind of thing. It didn't really work like that for me because I was so sedated. It's quite gradual. And I kind of woke up and then went back to sleep and um but I do I do sort of remember coming around a bit and you know at that time I was so surrounded by friends and family and you know it was just all oh, the attention and you know that was that was just lovely to be honest and it was a it, it was a great distraction I was you know I was kind of um you know I had a ventilator in there so I couldn't talk initially um but there was a just a lot of love around which was a, a nice cushion to to entering this new world as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I sort of came more and more conscious, I now think of the word conscious in a very different way, um, but just more <laughs> conscious of, you know, um, of kind of my surroundings and, and what had happened. Um, it was, it was a kind of uh, it was a sort of, it wasn't an immediate kind of, oh my gosh, what had happened, but what what happened about me finding out about becoming paralysed. Um, my mum was with me a lot of the time in hospital and she said, she said to um, the staff in the hospital, um, you know, don't tell her what has happened. I want to, don't, I want to be there um, when, when she asks or when you tell her. Um, and of course, you know, I'm lying in the hospital and I can't feel my legs and, and I ask them and they tell me. And she's absolutely devastated when she finds out they've told me, but I actually forgot um, and just kind of went back to sleep and woke up again or whatever. And I was just kind of, I wasn't delirious, thankfully, but I uh, just wasn't really that with it. Um, but as time went on, I do remember quite distinctly, there was a there was a, a moment when my family weren't around me. There was like the first day they weren't. And there was a guy who came in and did a sort of assessment on me for a spinal unit. And I asked, he seemed to know a bit about spinal cord injury. And I asked him, he wasn't a doctor, but I I asked him, um, you know, what are the chances of me being able to walk again? Because with spinal cord injury, you have a complete or an incomplete injury. And if you have an incomplete injury, sometimes you have sensation or mobility. Um, it's not without, you know, all the other complications. Um, but mine was complete. And so he said to me, "It's highly unlikely. And I just remember I was so furious with this guy. I was just, you know, I was in total denial at that stage. I was just like, yeah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. This it's not my reality you know it's just yeah not not gonna happen um but yeah as you know time just went on and uh, uh that was it really you,
0: you just start to realize so I mean yeah what, oh god I mean that's just it's you're such you can always be tell for like speaking to you for five minutes you're such an incredibly positive and like bubbly person and how did you you know manage to pull yourself back into that headspace through that time I mean how long was that process for you is it still an ongoing process Mm -hmm. and a battle you know in days and obviously we all have our moments in different parts of life where we think oh shit this is a bad day you know so do you still obviously navigate those things now how did you get over so the sort of first initial grief and trauma of it so to speak
1: Mm. so it's interesting you know it's now i've completely accepted it i think probably it and it differs for everyone i think probably after maybe 3 years five solidly i i really accepted it and now if i have a bad day it's never to do with the fact mm. that i'm paralyzed or a wheelchair user and and any of the things that i have that trouble me in my life are just the same as, as you might have, you know, it's, it's, it's just who I am. It's just, it's just because that is something that, you know, that's acceptance right there. You know, there's no point being angry about that because, you know, it is what it is. Um, But in terms of sort of, you know, being positive and kind of overcoming that in the early stages, it was, I mean, in the early stages, it was rough. It was Mm -hmm. awful. And I was, I was really, really low for a long time. And, it was kind of like, you know, you'd have a bad week and then you'd have a good day kind of thing. And as time went on, that just became less and less. Um, You know, in in the early stages when I was in hospital, you know, in the spiny unit after, you know, I didn't have friends and family around. It was about rehab and trying to learn how to live again. I just, I've, I've never cried so much in my life. I just, just, yeah, I literally, oh my God. Yeah, I, I, cried until the tears ran out it was just mm-hmm. yeah, it was awful awful time but I think the first stage of sort of accepting it was being in the spinal unit and learning how to do things again and I'm quite a determined person and so I, there was a challenge and it was like right okay I'm I'm gonna have to do this you know um so learning how to do things and, and being that determined person and, and finding a sort of purpose I suppose in that context um so, yeah, that was that was the first kind of driving force for me. Um, but actually, you know, that situation, being in a spinal unit, which is basically a hospital full of people with spinal cord injury, it's not like the real world. It's completely accessible. You know, there's mm-hmm. not a step in sight. The doorways are massive. No one looks at you because you're the same as everyone else. And then you get out into the real world, this sort of 22-year-old Sophie who previously had been, you know, you know, Friday night, what are we going to do? All this sort of stuff. And suddenly it was like, yeah, I just, uh, it was just such a, such a change. And that was the hardest time of all, like getting back home and, and realizing how inaccessible London was as well. You know, yeah. All of those kind of clubs or, or bars or whatever I used to go to, none of them, none of them I could go to now without getting help or whatever. Um, so yeah in in the early stages, I massively wanted to be that person, and you know I, I would go to house parties still, and things like that. you know I think you know I was it's ten years ago now, so mm. I'm just a different person now anyway now I'm, I'm not so fussed about that sort of thing but <laughs> in a way I was kind of i'm kind of glad with hindsight that i didn't shut myself away at that time, and I still kind of went for it, and I still wanted to go out, but it was hard you know it's it's really hard, you feel isolated and you lose friends as well, you know, it's it's a really, it's just such a, a transitional time that...
0: Yeah, so tell me about people's reaction to you, because that must have been such a... I mean, you're already are going through so much yourself, like you're trying to accept this, you know, life-altering event, and then people react to these things in very odd ways themselves, you know, whether it's with it's someone grieving from death of a loved one, or whether it's someone going through something traumatic themselves. Some people really don't actually know seem to have the level of emotional intelligence to be able to give the person actually what they need and actually can end up making them feel worse I mean you saying then did you lose you lost some friends was that sort of just a drifting apart because they couldn't handle it or one of those sad things I mean
1: a lot of them were absolutely amazing and really really supportive but when something like this happens you, you know you automatically mature by you know five years or so you just you get, you know, you, you become sort of older and kind of not wiser instantly, wiser with time, but you do change. Um, And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Some people, it just, they couldn't handle it. And I don't, I don't judge them. It was very hard at the time. It was awful, really, like kind of losing, losing friends, not loads of them, but, but yeah, a couple of them. Um, But yeah, it's kind of like, You don't sign up for that sort of thing. And it's just the same, you know, when I speak speak to people now who are spinal cord injured, the amount of partners that leave someone after an injury is just, I mean, it's massive. The vast majority of partners, which you don't expect at all. You know, there are certain things about this life that you don't expect. Um, but yeah, like for example, people asking what happened to you, you know, people in the street, taxi drivers. What in happened the street. to you then? In the street. Oh. I mean, yeah, like early days, I think. I don't know. I guess in the early days, I was hanging around in the street. I don't know, maybe outside the <laughs> pubs or something. But strangers, literally strangers, you know, you're out and about in the pub or whatever. And people all the time will come over and, and ask you, literally in the street sometimes as well, you know seem wow. to attract people but yeah just stuff like that that you don't expect it's it's hard you know sometimes it's, it's a traumatic
0: thing to kind of recount and um because yeah. sometimes you just want to be able to go to the shop and not have to tell your story on the way there mm. I mean was was that the most unexpected part of that for you in terms of reactions in aside from friends obviously um but in the normal world people reacting differently to you what was that experience for you how did you sort of see mm. that change
1: So that's something that I still, you know, I say I don't struggle and I've, you know, reached acceptance and things, but something I do still struggle with daily, really, or on bad days anyway, is people's reactions a lot of the time, you know, I'm fully independent and, you know, I can... I go and do whatever I need to do, go to the shop. If something's on the top shelf and I want that yogurt or whatever, I'll just ask for it. But the amount of people that will say, you know, do you need help kind of thing? And, and of course it's, you know, they are just being kind, but really and truly sometimes I just want to be invisible and I don't want to be, you know, picked out. I don't want to be othered, you know, because I'm using a wheelchair uh, and mm-hmm. that I do find really hard. And I think that probably comes from being able-bodied previously and being this sort of determined person or whatever. Um, but that's been a process for sure, just, just dealing with people's reactions. Um, and, and, and as well, you know, people kind of not, uh, people discriminating and things like that. I haven't been kind of a victim per se of discrimination, uh, but it's definitely something that, that happens
0: for sure. And, and it can be hard to deal with. Yeah, Simon, so, mean, if you, because you said actually, you know, you said you noticed not being able to go to, not that you even want to go to them now, but like the places that you wanted to go to before, those bars and all those things, was that because they didn't even have the um, like capability to be able to have disability, be able to, you know. Yeah,
1: it's access, really. Wow. Like it was, you know, I mean, you could probably get in if you got carried up the stairs or, you know, even sometimes it's like two steps up or whatever. But, you know, now I won't go to a restaurant if there's two steps to get up to it even if it's an amazing restaurant just the hassle and the the inconvenience and also there's sort of you know it's it's not an enjoyable process having to having to do that mm. you know some sometimes they'll they'll have a ramp and in a disabled loo or whatever but you want it to be an enjoyable um
0: experience yeah yeah that's it. access in london is Pants. What's your favorite place then to go that you find easy and you just Ooh, love? Now, that's a good question.
1: I don't know. It <laughs> goes, in, goes, well. in, goes, in, <laughs> goes in waves, I guess. I think I find I find somewhere that I really enjoy for a time. You know, that's lovely and accessible. And, and now I I really do appreciate it if I go somewhere and it's got a really great you know facilities and, and access. I I do really appreciate it <laughs> to be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just. I think it's so interesting to talk about as well, like how your view of the world has changed. So you said, obviously, you, you know, you've changed so much since that age anyway, like we all do, but from these traumatic events in life, I do believe that you grow a lot wiser and you develop a deeper empathy for people than you ever thought possible. And what was that kind of change for you? What really did you see as the sort of, you know, the growth in you from this you know awful experience you've had to go through?
1: Mm. So I early on I um I did a PGCE. I trained to be a primary school teacher, which was great at the time. You know to keep me busy, keep me occupied, Um, and it was really hard. You know I was a year post injury, really early days, and. Trying to figure that out, and and during that time, I came across um, an educational psychologist called Carol Dweck, and she uh, she wrote a book called Mindset, which is quite well known. And that book was a real game changer for me, actually, in terms of my mindset and the way I wanted to sort of navigate this new life, really. Um, And it's all about kind of a fixed fixed mindset or a growth mindset. Uh, which I'm sure you'll be familiar with. Mm. Um, And it was just about kind of really thinking, okay, so this has happened to me with this day, you know, something probably related to spinal cord injury, like had an accident or, you know, you fell out your chair or something like that, rather than like, oh, this is awful, you know, just feeling depressed about it. What can I learn from that? You know, what, what can I, what shall I do differently another day? Basically what, what I can learn and how I can kind of improve myself as a result of what has happened. Um, and, and that was just so powerful for me. It's starting to think like that. So it's, it was both starting to think like that, um, you know, in terms of day to day, but also just being grateful. That's something to this day, Just changed everything. And I don't even know where it came from. I don't, I don't, I don't remember someone telling me, you know, try and try and find things to be grateful for. And now I I hear it everywhere and I talk about it all the time. I think that's the number one thing, but it's really about, because when you're in a dark situation and you'll, you'll know this as well, I'm sure, you know, with, with what you've been through, sometimes you just can't see the wood from the trees. You can't see what there is to be, you know, what, what there's good to be, what there's to be grateful about but there is always something There always is something, um, you know, and it's just about finding those things, you know, and, um, and yeah, that, that is absolutely. And, and to this day, I, I do that, you know, I journal religiously over the last year. I haven't for the last 10 years at all, but you know, this part, past year has been a challenging one. Um, it's been, it's been wonderful in many ways, but you know, it, uh, had a, a rough breakup and, and following on from that, um, just journaling and writing down the things to be grateful for and I find that with with this sort of practice of gratitude once you start doing it or you know once you start doing it kind of religiously it becomes kind of automatic and now I I've kind of developed this this mindset where I'm able to just automatically see that sort of stuff if that doesn't sound too kind of crazy no it's
0: totally it's totally true as well the automatic side because actually when we if we even practice gratitude daily, but if we practice it particularly in the morning as well, or before we go to sleep as well, our subconscious will automatically try to look for it more throughout the day. So we become a little bit more like, ah, that as well. You know, instead of when we get up in the morning and think a terrible thought or have a terrible morning routine, and then the Mm. day kind of unfolds in a pile of stress and chaos and Mm. (laughs) irritation. So I'm such a big advocate for like, you know, take charge of your morning. So yeah, gratitude, I think, like you say, it's, you don't even know where you sort of learned that. And now it's become this kind of, it has become sort of a recent trend of the last like year everyone's talking about it online. And I think it gets a really bad rep as well from mm. people because it's kind of been portrayed a bit too much like the, you know, the self-love bandwagon and it really gets people like riled, riled the wrong way sometimes. And I think, you know, you saying that, for example, it just goes to show back to that power of actually how powerful gratitude is. You know, it's such a powerful emotion to, I think it was Deepak Chopra who said that you can't, it's impossible to feel anxious and, gra- and grateful at the same time, mm. which is actually very true. You know? <laughs> how can we? So I love that. I love that. So what, do you, what would you say, you know, is your greatest um, lesson from it all so far?
1: Ooh. I would say probably that, you know, is the power of gratitude. It really just does come down to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's I've I've learned a lot over the over the over the years. And you know, now I have a podcast as well, um, called A Life Less Ordinary. And on there I'm interviewing different people um who have overcome huge adversity and challenge and things. And on there, I ask them for advice and I'm getting so much wonderful advice. And I I feel like I'm learning more and more, you know, as you sort of start on this journey in a way, particularly in terms of kind of spirituality or, you know, self-help. Once you start getting it, you just learn more and more. So it's never ending. <laughs> it's never ending. And it just builds, doesn't it? I think I think, you know, the power of gratitude is probably the biggest over most overriding thing. Um But there's so there's so many other other things as well. Things um, another that keeps coming up for me is um, about taking responsibility for yourself. That's a huge thing. You know, and it it was for me with my journey and my spinal cord injury, you know, realizing that no one else is going to do this for me. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, no one else is going to kind of lift me out of the situation. It's not possible. It's only me and my my mindset that can do that. And, and that is actually really useful. You know, it's been really useful for me in the sports that I play and things like that as well. Just, you know, I think, I don't know where it comes from, but perhaps we come from a culture of kind of expecting or, or being kind of um, deserving. What's the word?
0: Yeah. Entitled
1: or something. Yeah, entitled. Um, but it's actually, you know, really taking responsibility for yourself and you know, if you want to do something, then it's you that has to make it happen, you know.
0: Yeah, I love that. So radical self responsibility. It's, uh, it's such a true it's so powerful because I think like you say, a lot of the time, particularly it's just the modern world, isn't it, that everyone's grown up in. There's so much comparison going on because there's so much of different things all around all the time. So many different types of people, so many different types of lifestyles, so many different options. And obviously all of this is portrayed on social media and (laughs) leads to people, you know, getting quite... um, internally down on themselves thinking i should be that or i should be doing that or why does that person have Mm what i don't and really coming back to that that point of gratitude and responsibility of self-responsibility is so true because those are two things that would actually counteract a lot of that for people like okay Mm -hmm. it's up to me to do this and i can still be grateful for where i am even if i'm not Mm -hmm. there
1: and it's what we have control over no matter what your situation no, no matter what your background you know we we do have control and it has to come back to to that you know and and reframing as well that's another another hugely important thing the ability to to reframe your situation but that comes down to gratitude I suppose as well
0: yeah mm. well I buzzwords? mean <laughs> the guy has a like, gratitude <laughs> <shots laughs> responsibility guys yeah I love it <laughs> um, so I mean something that blew me away was um, reading all about your skiing so I mean please can you tell me about this because I just find it incredible when any human being gets to a level of athleticism that's you know where you are it's just I mean you're an international you ski for Great Britain and you know you're, you could be going to the Paralympics some... Wow, wow!
1: Ooh. it's actually so so that the story with that actually kind of took a different i'll i'll, I'll tell you the story i guess yeah, do you, but it, it sort of took a took a route that actually sort of aligns with with me a bit more now anyway that probably makes zero sense to you. <laughs> um but so i snow skiing right you you mean um yeah. i started i started fairly soon after my injury um I, I went away and it was really, I went away with with Back Up, um, this charity, and it was a really transformative time for me to see what was possible. You know, I was sort of paraplegic, can't, you know, no core, no movement, you know, below that level. Um, and to see these skiers out kind of just riding over the mountain and just completely free and having that experience myself, being in the mountains, those bluebird days, you know, they're nothing better than that. And so that was a real kind of eye-opener for me. Um, and I always loved skiing before, just loved a bit of adrenaline going fast. And so I did my PGCE. And then during that time, it was really, it was challenging at just being in London then. Um, and actually my dad passed away um, towards the end of the course. Um, and it was just, it was horrendous. It was just a really dark time I mean my family you know we all kind of um stuck together of course um but it was it was just really really hard um and then sometime after that I decided that I wanted to just get away I wanted and I now look at it kind of like a gap here. you know I had sort of been in this situation I wanted to you know spread my wings a little bit and and see who I was now you know in this sort of new life before I like settled down to work and you know all of that sort of stuff and grew up (laughs) so I was fortunate enough to be able to go away and I went away for a full season to go to Colorado where they do a lot of this adaptive skiing um, and basically learned how to sit ski out there and it was the perfect thing for me it was really hard you know I was sort of living on my own it was scary and I had to it was a real crash course in both senses of the word like living independently and also learning to ski which is hard you know I just fell over all the time lots of black eyes and stuff like that but it was also amazing you know it was total freedom and it was there was a great opportunity I feel so fortunate that I was able to do that then it was very good timing um and sort of fast forward a bit. Um, I kind of got into racing after a few months out there and then started training with the GB development team. They, there was a coach out there and, you know, I think being a girl, there aren't that many girls, um, monoski racing. So, you know, I went fast, slightly out of control, but, um, I think he was like, you know, come, come train with us. So I spent a few years doing that, um, which was a great opportunity. Um, and very exciting to be competing for great Britain and things like that. Um, but it was also mentally, it was, it was challenging for sure. And, you know, my level of injury is, is like a T3, which is like right kind of up here. There's no call. And that's really difficult as a mono skier, really difficult. Um, but I was so determined, and you know, I'm determined to a, to a fault for sure. Um,
0: sometimes what I are the just, skills you have to uh, um develop as a mono skier, as a sit skier? What
1: um, well, I mean, core is super useful because you're kind of going right on edge, it's just like skiing if you see it on the on the um. Paralympics or just on YouTube or whatever it's just like skiing you know you go right over on the edge you carve and then you bring it back up the other edge so yeah all about that sort of stuff so um, yeah your
0: core is really it's like really vital important. for you yeah, how on really earth important. did you manage if you were so weak in your core I mean that's incredible that you yeah, managed so- to do that
1: it was great. It was great to sort of get get strong and, and you know, to, to get to grips with it and things like that. And it was an amazing opportunity. Um, but mentally, I was struggling with it. It's such, you know, it's an individual sport. So you're sort of on your own. And I, I wasn't struggling the whole time at all. It was probably the last season that I was struggling all the time before that I was living the dream you know spending winters in Colorado was amazing and having so much fun with it Um, and then things sort of got a bit more serious you know training wise we were looking at the next Paralympics and things like that and I would sort of you know go to a race I'd get in the start gate and I would just kind of lose it mentally a bit I just it was really really hard and I'd always put so much pressure on myself you know to make the Paralympics because I thought that's that was what it had to be all about, you know. And really, it was about sort of creating a bit of a platform for myself. Um, and I thought that the Paralympics would need, would uh, would be the vehicle to kind of get that platform, as it were. You know, I've always been a huge advocate of kind of, you know, disability rights, but also just understanding about disability and kind of bridging the gap between able-bodied people and disability and, and um, sharing the stories and things like that. So during that last season, I was in a race and I was kind of getting to the start gate and I just had a bit of a panic attack and I was just, I just lost it. So I skied down and went to the locker room and I was with a friend of mine and I was just in such a bad way. And I just, I was like hyperventilating and and I just realized, you know, at that point I don't need to do this. And for a long time, I'd been following, you know, there are people in that world that I really admire and people that have kind of been almost sort of like mentors to me in the past, um, you know, who were former ski racists and things. And I realised, you know, that, that quote that you hear about carving your own destiny, I realised like then and there that I can, I don't need to follow her destiny. I can create my own. And it was, yeah, a big wake up for me then actually, um, realizing that that didn't need to be my future and I could actually just do something, you know, that was completely mine. Um, and that was a great feeling. So I spent the rest of that season, just free skiing and having an absolute blast with that, which was nice. Um, oh, bring on, bring on skiing again. (laughs) That'd be a good, good time. Um, and then yeah I came back and and I started I started working and I moved out with, from my mum's house. Um and that was really where my podcast came about. Um because when I was on this the ski circuit I met so many people who just had incredible stories. Um you know there would be a, a an amputee a female um, amputee from Japan and a blind skier from Chile um and just they all had these incredible stories and and they weren't being heard you know you hear the Paralympic champion stories but you don't hear the rest of them um and I you know I love communicating and um telling stories so I I started this podcast and it and it's not just people with disabilities it's it's anyone who's sort of overcome some sort of challenge or whatever so it was a it was a yeah it was a good kind of place to to get that from basically
0: yeah, that's amazing. I love that. So, I mean, do you, it's so obviously you can't ski at the moment because we're in this wonderful pandemic of, <laughs> in the UK. But do you plan to obviously continue this? And
1: Yeah, well, actually, sort of uh, during the time I was skiing, um, I started uh, water skiing and wakeboarding, um, which I. Love I water <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. I was doing it yesterday, actually. I went down after work. It's amazing. Such a good feeling. Um, So, yeah, I started doing that and then started competing in that uh, a couple of years ago. So now, you know, head down and work and, and podcasts and stuff, but just enjoying that along alongside. Um, So that kind of gives me that feel. And I think, you know, it's being a wheelchair user. It is restrictive. You know, it is frustrating, you know, not being able to be free. So it certainly gives me that. That's what's getting gave me and yeah absolutely you know when when the opportunity comes to to go back to the mountains i'll be there but this is good for now to be honest
0: yeah that's amazing even if a little cold in the UK still great <laughs> yeah
1: well it's all right now actually the the temperature's warmed up I took a little while to get used to it. um to get to go back to it this season I was just like nah
0: weather's not good enough oh we didn't have sun until <laughs> yeah, a few weeks right. ago now we don't again oh, dear. but I mean yeah that's amazing though that also to have both options to do like the water and snow it's so cool um so I mean you obviously have said to me you work for a spinal charity so what led you to first of all work for that particular one was there a reason that really drew you to this one
1: yeah so I was a, a service user is what we call them I basically met them when I was in the spinal unit Um, There was um, this amazing woman who was a Paralympic skier, and she came in and taught wheelchair skills. And this was really, really early on for me. And I was so nervous. And I lost so much confidence after my injury, just so much. And just kind of, yeah, meeting her and she told me about skiing. And that's kind of how how I went on that course initially. Um, but yeah, I basically kind of took advantage. That that was a, a backup course. And then I also had a mentor um, from them, which is the service that I now work on. Um, and it's just that sort of meeting other people in a similar situation. And this is relevant for anyone, um, you know, and it's something that, yeah, often comes up is just, you know, find someone who's in a similar situation to you, no matter what you've been through, you're not alone, you know. And um, so, yeah, it was just it was kind of receiving their services. And, you know, there's just something about and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to say this because it could sound really cheesy. But I think you'll probably know what I mean. But it's just about serving others. You know, there's mm-hmm. something so powerful in that. And I feel honestly like it's such a huge privilege to be able to have. And, and it can be really, really hard conversations a lot of the time, you know, people in hospital who, you know, can't see their friend, family or, or whatever it is um but yeah it's it's having that ability to sort of to to speak to others and to to serve others basically um I mean I sound like I'm making myself out to a martyr absolutely no not. not at all you know you know what I mean I think I think if anyone if if everyone can find something in their life that enables them to help others in some way it's, it gives you so much
0: yeah I totally agree I think as well you know there's these things that people think oh I have to do this huge thing to help others and we can obviously we can also find those moments in the everyday parts of our lives that can really change someone's entire day I mean I think we've all been that person as well who's been on the receiving end of a stranger's kindness on one of your toughest days that you just weren't expecting and you're like oh it just gives you that that uplift that you need like a newfound faith in humanity and the day itself so Mm. it's so true like just being able to you know you get more even than the person that you give to when you give to someone else it's such Definitely. a such Definitely. a beautiful
1: thing yeah it once if you're doing it it sort of it kind of feeds you I think it's uh but there's there's so many things out there there's so many opportunities to kind of do good in the world just like you say you know that you know stranger kindness or or the smallest of things there are so many opportunities once you kind of open your eyes to them you see them
0: yeah totally so within that charity and your own obviously incredible experience what do you believe is sort of the number one well not number one but the main things that able-bodied people are really unaware of around disability and that they need to know more about
1: i mean ableism is is the main thing really and and that is essentially discrimination to people with disabilities and it's a complicated one because you know disability is just so wide-reaching and experiences are so subjective Um, but I think it's just about being aware and and being informed being educated and you know looking up People, I think, you know, an action that people can take is look look people up on Instagram, for example, you know, who who are kind of a disability advocate or have a disability and who are talking about it. You know, people like me want to educate people, um, and um, you know, it's it's hearing stories and and yeah, I, I suppose you know, f- yeah, sort of educating yourself about the experiences of people with disabilities is is one way to to do it.
0: Yeah, it's, I think it's. there's always a level of awareness we need to get to around anything that we have no understanding of from our own little insular worlds of whatever our personal experiences have been. And then they can be expanded either by your own experiences and then by people you meet and have conversations with. And you suddenly have this realisation that you're like, oh my God, I never knew that. You know, that's such a powerful thing. Like you say, to hear people's stories and to understand those things, then they can really... I think land with people on a more emotional emotional level so that it actually sinks in
1: mm. And I think it's really important not to be because I, I can sort of picture myself pre-injury being not you know I didn't really know anyone and certainly like you know with a disability or you know who is a wheelchair user and certainly post-injury I was I didn't want to have friends with people and uh, you know friends um who are in wheelchairs like yeah, no, I'm alright. Kind of thing. I just you know, not not that I was sort of um, really a- against anything. I that, that or anything. But you know, as time's gone on, some of my closest friends are also spinal cord injured. You know, and and it's because we've we've had a shared experience. And um, you know, they they I have far deeper and more meaningful more more meaningful conversations with them a lot of the time. You know, because just to have have this kind of this deeper knowledge of life in many ways i think um but i think what's so important is not to be afraid of of you know people who are are different like that and and really you know obviously to kind of act appropriately but but um yeah don't sort of back away kind of step forward and and i don't know i'm not saying kind of befriend someone who's you know in a wheelchair because I don't know I'm probably not making a huge amount of sense anyway you, you are, But yeah, I just um, you know, don't don't be afraid, but yeah, also don't
0: ask us if we want help all the time. That's super annoying. Yeah, that's a really good thing to know because I think a lot of people listening won't even be aware of that. Because, like you say, the amount of people that have done that to you just shows how how unaware yeah. you know people can be.
1: Yeah, it's a tricky one because obviously sometimes people do need help, and you know, it's definitely not don't be aware of that um but yeah I I kind of I don't
0: want to be treated
1: differently I want to be treated just the same as you.
0: but yeah so you're obviously a very resilient person and it's amazing so I mean what does resilience like really mean to you what does that kind of what's the understanding of resilience to you
1: the thing that comes to mind is is me on the ski slope with like a black eye like head (laughs) on the ground (laughs) like come on let's go again I mean, I, I think something that helps to build resilience is having opportunities and taking experiences that allow you to step out of your comfort zone, because without that, you are unable to kind of grow and develop in that way. And that's something that I've always sought out. And certainly like after lockdown, I was really desperate because I've been really fortunate And also inclined to seek out opportunities of of just getting out of comfort zone, often physically, you know, because having a disability, it just kind of means you want to do that more. I think, or maybe it's just me, probably. Um, But yeah, just um, stepping out of your comfort zone, I think that is really key to building resilience as a big, big part of that, I would say
0: yeah is the is skiing for you is that the thing that pulled you out of your comfort zone the most 100
1: percent, 100 percent on the, on the daily mm-hmm. and and the same with with like I think that's why water skiing or weightboarding are, are good as well because it you know it sort of tests you it's, it's a safe environment but it kind of tests your limits sort of thing and you know you try a new trick and you fail and you know, yesterday I had a big crash on the water, like just boom, <laughs> you know. And uh, you know, it's safe, you're fine, you're not hurt or whatever. You just you know got a shock reaction for them. People in the boat, they're like, oh. Um, but yeah, she's it's, down. It's, <laughs> you're okay, so <Sophie? laughs> again. <laughs> but yeah, it's I think I'm lucky that I have those opportunities. But but actually, you know, anyone can find them. Um, you know, like the lake is just outside london right by the m25 you know people can go and do that sort of thing but there's there's other things that are people's you know comfort zones and it's just about like looking looking around and trying trying things and not being afraid and just just knowing once you've you've tried that thing and stepped out of that comfort zone and it doesn't have to be something physical you know it's like you know something at work facilitating a, a meeting or whatever it might be something you're uncomfortable with i think i mean resilience is is you know far far bigger than just that but i think that's a great way to start in building that
0: yeah so true so i mean you've obviously also i've heard you like talk a little bit bit about spirituality and i always ask everyone on the podcast um this question because i think it's just an interesting thing for to understand from people how what spirituality personally means to them because it can mean something different to everyone so First of all, did you have a sort of sense of internal faith when you were going through that process? Or were you, you know, the other way? And what, where does your sort of spirituality, what does spirituality mean to you now?
1: So I think, you know, like, like with many people, it's, it's definitely been a journey. Um, when I was younger, I, I was sort of, I grew up Catholic. Um, I wasn't massively religious. My, my parents were... Um, You know, I went to church every Sunday and stuff like that. But I suppose I was always quite spiritually curious. Um, And I've always been quite interested in meditation um, as I've got older, particularly. Uh, It's always been something that I've been sort of curious about and and tried out and things like that. when I had my injury, I remember my mum saying, there's like a, a chaplain, do you want to see him? And I was like, hell no. Um, <laughs> Sorry if that's offensive. But yeah, I, I really, you know, I, I kind of decided a bit of, you know, time before that, that I was like agnostic. Um, and then at that time I was really, you know, my faith had been really kind of shaken or broken or something. I I was really struggling to kind of believe in in that uh, kind of traditional religion. Um but that sort of spirituality kind of remained in me and and actually I think I think you know I said it, it's a journey. I think you know things sometimes have to happen in order to kind of kick start certain things in your life. So, you know, and the, I have always over the last few years I've I've been really conscious about meditation and about how effective it is, you know, the evidence is all there. And I just knew it, it works, but I wasn't able to access it. I just couldn't. I really tried. I had all the apps and, um, and I just, yeah, it just never worked for me. And I was really sort of, I was quite ashamed by that. And last year I was, you know, in a pretty bad situation. Um, And I was really desperate and, you know, I I don't really kind of pray on the whole, you know, I'll sort of, you know, think about gratitude and all that sort of stuff usually, but, you know, I was in a really, really bad way. And I, um, I was sort of asking the universe, you know, like, give me a sign, like, I need, I need help, what, what, show me what to do. And this course came up, um, a meditation course, um, and the timing was was pretty great in terms of lockdown. You know, it was going to, like, the second lockdown. So, you know, it was, like, quite full on. Uh, it was, like, over 10 weeks. Um, but it w- would give me something to do. And it was just – it was exactly what I needed at that time in my life. Um, and I started meditating. And it just had such a profound impact on me. And, you know, now I, I do it twice a day. Yeah. Like, really – i kind of and that's been a big part of sort of spirituality for me um is meditating um and i'm I'm, you know it's it's absolutely a journey and i feel like i'm pretty early on this journey of of learning about things and you know i'm exploring buddhism which is just it makes so much sense to me and i just wish there was yeah so interesting i just wish there was more time in the day to to read about it and (laughs) Um, about stuff, you know, there's just so much to learn. So I'm, I'm absolutely on the beginning of this journey, but I'm, I'm, you know, that and, and things like manifesting and, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in a lot of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's kind of what spirituality means for me, I suppose, um, but I think, you know, I'll often use the word journey in many, many different ways. And, and people sort of say, oh, it's such a you know silly word. But actually, I think it really it means a lot. And I think it's so personal for everyone. And it's really what works for you. Um, and this meditation is something that works for me, and I totally understand when people aren't able to access that. So I'm I'm hesitant to sort of say, yeah, everyone has to meditate because it's just you know it, it came to me at the time I needed it most, and yeah, I think if if you are struggling with it, then you know don't don't be hard on yourself. It'll it'll come when it when it needs to come type type of thing. But yeah, I think spirituality is such a such a journey, really.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I love the word, the the word, the word use of the word journey in that sense, because I think the spiritual journey is one of the most, what's well, the longest one we can go on. It never ends. You know, we're always striving for a higher level of consciousness and mm. a higher level of spiritual growth. And that can come in a lot of different ways. Like you say, meditation for you found you at the time you needed to. And a lot of people shy, can shy away from meditation. I and mean, I always say to clients, I'm like, if you're struggling with meditating, try a new type because there are so many different types out there you've just got to keep going till you find one that suits you even if for two minutes and I do believe we all can plus obviously (laughs) the more we are the more we're pushing away meditation the more we actually need it so that's always Mm -hmm. something for people to to think about but I think it's it's that sense like you say you know meditating is your a part of your spirituality I, I almost feel like meditation for me is a church these days it's like my own little sacred space where i can you know say my prayers or do those things that i want to put out into the universe have some gratitude have some connection and uh, there's so many obviously you know people can do it just for the mindfulness side and just for that you know stress relief but when you do have a sort of spiritual practice with it as well it can really it can really blow blow you away um mm-hmm. in those little moments so
1: i think yeah. the really key thing is if people are wanting to get into it it's just consistency absolutely like that, that's that's it you know and you do start to notice a difference yeah um, exactly
0: so I mean you obviously you know you've you've just become such an amazing wise person through all this so what do you say to other people who are going through challenges of their own you know what's your sort of advice for someone who feels like they can't they can't really see the light at the end of a hard time at the moment
1: So it's, it's sort of all things that we've, we've touched on really, you know, one is find someone who else who is in a similar situation to you, you know, connect with people, social media, Instagram is an amazing place for that. Like Mm. it's, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for it. And, you know, it can be toxic as well, but it's all about, you know, making it work for you, I think. And, you know, there's a ton of inspiring people on there. Um, So yeah, connecting with other people. So you don't feel less alone. So you feel less alone. Um, and, and all these other sort of little steps as well, you know, that, that sort of gratitude, daily gratitude, or just kind of sort of putting that into your life. Um, yeah, it's, it's not one thing necessarily. I think it's a combination of things. Um, comfort zone is absolutely massive step out of that find any way you can challenge yourself you know don't don't be stuck don't don't stay in that place you know whatever it might look like um, do that and the feeling you'll have after because it's about growth you know it's it's we need to we need to grow we're we're I don't know made made to grow we're not made to stay we're made to to learn for us to sort of our brains to develop and things like that so so you you need to in my opinion to sort of put yourself in that position where you can continue to grow and sometimes that's through you know huge challenge adversity heartbreak you know it often you know that that's what you said in the beginning yeah, that's often kind of where this comes from that's often the catalyst um, so i suppose anyone having a tough time you know that that's perhaps reframe it and, and try and see see the positives that can come out of it that absolutely didn't answer your question that was really
0: roundabout i love it we're <laughs> talking about growth there. i think that's such a that's such an important thing to to touch on for people in those moments because when we are in those moments we can feel like the last thing we want to do is grow and we literally want to shrivel back into ourselves but if we find one tiny thing like you say that pushes you out of your comfort zone it actually builds your sort of confidence in yourself and the world again that little bit more even if just for a moment so I mm. think growth is such a is such a good point to mm. to touch upon um, I actually weirdly always ask people this at the beginning of the podcast but I, we've gone through all, all, all of your incredible story. And I just want to ask this question now, reflecting on some of the things you told me, and you obviously touched on the fact that you also lost your dad. And I always ask people, what's, what is the greatest stress or loss you've had to overcome? What would you say defines that for you?
1: I mean, I would say, obviously losing my dad was was a huge, huge thing. But I think in tandem with that was was breaking my back. You know, nothing can really compare to to that happening, and just the total kind of loss of your your ability like that, and just the total total change in your life. Um, but it just it really changed everything. But it it took time; it really took time to kind of see that. I think, and and now you know, even after a few years, if someone asked me if I would go back and and you know not have that accident you know, I've said no, I wouldn't. And, you know, now I'm 100% sure of that. But even after like three years, I was sort of starting to see who I was kind of becoming and, and what difference it had made in my life. And don't get me wrong, it's a pain sometimes, like, you know, there's, there's frustrating things, there's things that go wrong, there's pain, you know, there's, there's issues there that, you know, that, that I would certainly take back. And yeah, for sure, sometimes I'd like to stand up and, you know, and reach something in the supermarket rather than being asked if I want to help, um
0: but yeah I mean it's got to be that really I mean it's just been so wonderful to hear all about that journey for you Sophie and just so inspiring I think it's so incredible just your your outlook and your mindset and your energy and it's just been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast I'm sure people have taken a lot of things away from it and inspiration and we'll definitely go to check out your podcast as well I'll put it in the show notes and you know to look up the charity that you're working for and um, find out that information online that you say educate people on these kind of things because I think it's just as soon as we can raise our own awarenesses around things that we're not aware of we can really start to see changes so thank you so Mm. much
1: awesome it's been lovely talking
0: to you I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the wonderful Sophie and you've left feeling as inspired and motivated by her as I was if you did enjoy the episode then tag us on social media share it in your stories I would love to spread Sophie's message as far as possible to people and love to hear from you if you enjoyed it I will also be changing the name of the podcast very soon pending the announcement so if you haven't already subscribed and you're a fan of the show then do so you'll be able to find us easily and have a lineup of all the incredible new guests I have for this new season. Our next guest is going to be the return of the amazing Mo Gaudat talking all about his incredible new book Scary Smart. Stay tuned.